Well, good morning again, Lindsley Avenue. I'd like to say welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for watching remotely. A whole lot more people are still watching remotely that are in here with us this morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Again, sorry, old habits. I always make sure the stages are going to open and swallow me down into the depths for saying that. But uh, there can't be a single one of us in here or watching who don't realize that Christmas is coming. <laughs> like, shock, really? No. Um, but the key is, it's not so much the exact day that Jesus is born, but the fact that he was born. So this morning, we're going to say joy to the world, because certainly the world needs a lot of joy. Now, I'm going to put this up here because you can tell, I know you can cheat and look at the handout, but in my opinion, the single most important witness to the birth of Jesus each year if I didn't have, if you didn't have a handout, I'd be trying to make sure you were guessing who it was. But there in Luke 2, this passage is still read to more people once a year than by one person than any other evangelistic effort ever. So if we read here in Luke 2, starting verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very afraid. That passage is still heard on TV. Networks have not been able to suppress it because they seem to have to, must, just have to, show this one particular little cartoon, and that's the one right there. Linus is the single most important witness to Jesus' birth and the reason he came in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. But when you look at Linus, this is not in the handout. When you look at Linus, what is the one characteristic about Linus that's always true? What was it? It's blanket, right? He's got his security blanket. And every time you see him, unless somebody's messing with him, unless somebody has stolen it or something like that, he's got his security blanket with one exception. Look at the next picture, which happens about 10 seconds after that snap came. When Linus talks about Jesus, he drops his security blanket. One and only time that ever happens. Why? Even Linus, as afraid as he often is, as scared as he often is of the world, his shadow, whatever, he does not need his security blanket. He's talking about Jesus. You know, Really and truly, that could be the end of the sermon this morning. Because if you have Jesus, if Jesus knows you, if you are a member of his family, all is well. Because if Linus can drop his security blanket, then if you have Jesus, you don't need to fear anything. I love that. And I had watched this probably <clears throat> years before somebody pointed that out to me. I've never noticed it before, but it's right there. The only time, look at that. He's dropped it to the ground because even Linus doesn't need a security blanket when he's thinking about Jesus. What a great, great witness to the majesty and the divinity and the necessity of Jesus coming into the world. Let's go back now. I, I know you're all disappointed that that is not the end of the sermon. But uh, I, I think it's important to go ahead and work through what the birth of Jesus means and why there's truly joy to the world. So join me again back here in Luke 2, 
We just read this, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord um, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very afraid. You and I would be scared out of our minds. <laughs> the first people God tells about the birth of his son are the shepherds out in the field. And that's a sign of things to come. Because in the first century, shepherds were at the margins of society. They were the ones who were viewed with suspicion. They were the ones who were transient. They were never in the same place very long. They had to go wherever they needed for the flocks to be able to eat. Think about it. They're around flocks of sheep and animals all day. I suspect even in a world without ivory soap, that the shepherds may not have been the most fragrant people to be around. They weren't the people that you might have invited in to come have some cookies. They were, again, at the margins, the people that we would have been suspicious of. God says, things are changing. I'm gonna tell the people much of society would push away about my son's birth first. And Jesus does that all throughout his life, all throughout his ministry. The people who were pushed away by the big shots of the day, the religious people of the day, are the ones he took his message to. And it starts right here. Continuing on. The angel said unto them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Or another way of phrasing that part of the end is peace toward men of goodwill. It could be either way. Goodwill toward men, peace toward men of goodwill. Let's look at this a little more closely. I will bring you good, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What is meant by joy? What is meant by joy? Well, sometimes our view of joy today may not be exactly the same as what joy meant 2,000 years ago. It's always important to think, what did it mean then? So in uh, the original, back 2,000 years ago, the word used here really often means uh, joy which has a basis in serving God and living for God. It's not the joy that comes from earthly things. I mean, you know, if somebody leaves a stack of money on my doorstep, I'm going to have a lot of joy. Hey, this is great. That's not what it's talking about. It's not a joy that comes from beating somebody else in competition. I mean, yesterday in some football games, there was a lot of joy on half the field. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is a joy whose foundation is in God. For example, look at a couple of passages here. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Another idea of prayer, making your request may be made known to God with thanksgiving. So look at that. Joy is in the Lord. We need to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Jesus. We need to be joyful, we need to be glad, that's what it means to be glad. We need to be reasonable. 
Too many times, people who are saying they're following God, saying they're following Jesus, are the most unreasonable people. We need to be reasonable. We need to show that we can think the way normal people do. We can't be anxious. You know, if I were to make a list of my uh, supposed good qualities and things that trouble me, anxiousness is one of them. There's a lot of stuff in the world that does its best to, to pull you down. And worry about the future, anxiousness about the future. Look, this is 2020. You're going to tell me that most of us haven't been anxious and worried at some time? We'll talk about that next week. But God knew, Jesus knew that we as people who cannot see the future would worry about it, would be anxious for the future. And I think that's why Jesus said, do not worry. Look at the birds. God takes care of them. Aren't you worth so much more than the birds? And if God takes care of the birds, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me. We need to think about that a lot. Our joy needs to be in God. We need to be reasonable. We need to be joyful and glad. We need to not be anxious. And that should lead us to be thankful. Joy has a basis in serving God and being a member of his family. Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, the, the author that wrote Treasure Island, seems like I had to read that in like, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade, something like that, Treasure Island, once wrote down in his diary as if he was recording a, a remarkable occurrence, something that was extraordinary. He said, I've been to church today and I'm not depressed. Well, <laughs> what did he do the rest of the times he went to church? And probably he must have come home feeling kind of down and depressed. You know, too often for too many years, when we've gotten together, we've used our opportunity to be together to smack people upside the head. Robert Louis Stevenson, this guy, felt the same way. When we come together to worship God, when we come together to focus on what he did for us, we all have things that we could get down about. We all have things we could look at and say, I didn't do what I needed to do this week. I didn't do what I should have done. I, I need to live for God better. But you can't stop there. You've got to focus on the future, which is forgetting what's behind. We need to move forward and do better the next week. What a horrible, horrible thought. I went to church today and shockingly I was not depressed. We need to discover the lost radiance, inner light, if you will, of the Christian faith, of being a follower of Jesus. In a worried world, and boy, the world sure is worried. In a worried world, we should be the ones who remain in peace. In a world full of worry, we should be the ones as we go through our day to day, as we run into people, we should be the ones who are reassuring, who are telling people, God is in control, who are telling people that peace is found, having our lives focused on the one whose birth we are thinking about this week. In a depressed world, and the world sure is depressed, no matter where you look, there seems to I me, mean, hearing the news or watching the news or thinking about what's going on, sometimes it's a bad thing because all we're gonna hear about is bad stuff in a world that's depressed. We should be the only ones, certainly the ones who focus on the joy of life. There's joy 
in life. And we need to share that joy. We need to share that fact that God is in control to the people that we meet. There should be some, some ways or other a sparkle about the Christian. You know, I, I like to think about when you think about, you see little girls who are like five, six, seven years old or something. That's when they have, they, they're always focused on, you know, they want the shoes, they sparkle, or they'll have glitter in the hair or something like that. At least mine sure did. She's not six or seven anymore. In some ways, that's kind of like how we ought to appear to people around us. Why are you so happy? Because the angel brought tidings of great joy, good news of great joy, which was for everybody. I know the joy of you. That's what the angel came to tell us. Wherever we are, if we are to be the salt of the earth, if we are to be the ones that help the people around us, we have to be the spreader of joy. We have to have joy in us that we leave behind with other people. But the angel said more than merely bringing great joy. Look back to what he said again. The angel said unto them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. What is this good news? For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The source of joy, the source of this great joy is actually this good news that we, in fact, have a Savior. In a world that is lost, a world without hope, a world that is separated from God, Jesus was born. The world sinful today, it was very sinful then. Into that world, God came saying, there's good news for each person here. And that good news brings that great joy. I want to look at three parables from Luke chapter 15. Most of us have probably heard them before, maybe several times, but what is this joy? What is it that Jesus came into the world to do? It wasn't merely to gurgle in a manger, and I'm sure he gurgled like any other baby. But the good news that brings the great joy. What is that? What is that? Look at Luke 15. Starts off, tax collectors and sinners were all crowding around to listen to Jesus. Stop right there for a moment. Who were the first people God told about the good news? Shepherds at the margin of society, people that society viewed with suspicion. Who is Jesus still talking to years later? Tax collectors and sinners who would have been you know, shunned, pushed away. And in fact, that's what happens. Look at the next statement. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses started grumbling. This man is friendly with sinners. He even eats with them. Well, guess what? They're the ones who need to know the good news just like I do. So Jesus wants to teach them a lesson, needs to teach me a lesson. Look at the three parables that he comes up with. Then Jesus told them this story. If any of you has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will you do? Won't you leave the 99 in the field and go look for the lost sheep until you find it? And when you find it, you will be so glad that you will put it on your shoulder and carry it home. Then you will call in your friends and neighbors and say, let's celebrate. I have found my lost sheep. You know, I don't have a hundred sheep, but I see the point of that. The 99 that you know where they are are safe. They're here, but I got one. And I'm going to 
go look for. In that story, who's the shepherd? Jesus is the shepherd. God's the shepherd who said, there's a lost sheep out there. I'm going to go and find it. He continues with another illustration. He says, in the same way, there's more joy. There's a summary right here. More joy in heaven because of one sinner who turns to God than over 99 good people who don't need to. Joy in heaven when one lost sheep, one person for whom Jesus came, the good news came to be shared with, one person who comes back to God, there's incredible joy in heaven when one person comes back to God. Just to make sure that they are getting the point, he does it two more times. The second story here says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? What's the deal with the ten coins? In that first century, in that culture in the land of Israel, when a woman got married, she was almost always given ten coins as a keepsake. And when she loses one of those, it hits at the foundation of who she was as a bride and as a wife and as a mother. So she is going nuts, if you will, looking for this one coin from her wedding day. You know, it would be, I guess, as if somebody lost an engagement ring or a wedding ring or, you know, most of the time a wedding dress gets put up and never seen again. But just think about it, right? What would be important today from a wedding perspective that if it were lost, would drive somebody to search the whole house. Engagement ring, maybe. This woman is going nuts because she has lost something so central to who she views she is. And that one coin, she's got nine, but that one coin is what she goes after. So look what happens. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Reinforces a second time. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When God says something once, pretty important. If he says it twice, I really need to pay attention to it. There's joy in heaven over just one person, one, who comes back. The third story is longer, but let's take a look at it. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. In the first century, hearing this story would have just had people shocked. The people would have had their mouths hanging open because this, in effect, in the first century, this son is telling his father, you're dead to me. I'm viewing you as if you're already dead. Divide up what's going to come to me. I have no use for you. Older people today sometimes are ignored or pushed to the margin. In the first century, they were honored. They were in a position of respect. We need to get back to that. But we don't grab the severity of what this boy has just done to his father. He said, Dad, one last time, I'll call you this. You're dead to me in my eyes. Give me the portion of what you've got that's mine. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, 
a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He had already run out of all that he had with him. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. Whoops. You know, sometimes we'll look at this and say as a young boy, young people often make mistakes. I know some older people who've done the very same kind of thing. Not thinking ahead, he lived it up, and then one day it all ran out. You've got a lot of friends as long as you got a lot of money. And the pigs here is particularly important because the Jewish people wouldn't have anything to do with pigs, much less eat the slop that's being given to the pigs. This guy is, is the low of the low at this point. But he's, he's as low as he's going to get. What happens next? But when he came to himself, I don't know how long he was feeding pigs, but at some point it occurred to him, I have messed up. I have messed up. That's different in this story than the preceding two. The sheep never realized, whoops, I'm lost. I need to try to find the pen. The coin never realized, somehow I've fallen out of this collection of 10 coins. I need to roll back out to the middle of the floor. The boy, the person, when he came to himself, what have I done? That's the key for us. No matter where we are in life, if we have left our father, at some point we have to come to ourselves and do what this boy is going to do. Look at how it continues. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger? Here's what he says. Very, very important. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. When he came to himself, he said, I have messed up. I'm going to go back. And I love the next little part of this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. A couple of things there. Old people didn't run in the first century. It's not a good idea for old people to run now. We worry about hips and bones and all this kind of stuff. But the old person was to be the dignified person, the person who showed maturity. And this old man is tearing out, running after his boy that he's seen in the distance. This boy who said, you're dead to me. The father, as all fathers will do, as all mothers will do, still loved and hurt that child, no matter what the child had done to him. To him. He ran, he saw him, he had compassion, and he hugged him and embraced him. That didn't happen until that young boy came to himself. And the young boy got up and went to his father. The moment that young boy got up and went to his father, it's as if he had been magically transported, poof, right? Out into the road and the father came running. All it takes, all it takes to come back to God is saying, I have messed up. And you get up, you go to your father, God runs to meet you. 
Look at the rest of it. The son said to him, he'd already thought through what he was going to say. He starts it. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupts him. The father cuts off his planned statement. And the father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son. This my son was dead. But he's alive again. He was lost. He's found. The father in this story is God. And whenever one of God's people, whenever one of God's children, and Jesus came for the whole world, God views every single person alive at this moment as that boy who is often of our country. Anyone who comes to themselves and comes back to God, this is the reaction that he has. My child was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. That's, that is the good news brought about by Jesus' birth. In each of those stories, something was lost and had been found. We, I, am that lost sheep. We are that lost coin. We are that lost son. And we have a Savior. We have a reason for hope, a reason for joy, because of the good news that Jesus came to save us when we were lost. Luke 2, again, 8 through 14. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. John 3, 16 through 17. God loved the world so much, and that means he loved you, still loves you, and he loves me. Loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Sometimes that's the way it's presented. You are so sinful. You are lost. There's no hope for you. That is not true. Jesus was sent into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Paul said that referring to himself. I think we all could argue with Paul. Because I am every bit as much a sinner as Paul ever had been. We are all sinners in need of a savior. That Savior was born in the city of David, born in Bethlehem, and that's Christ the Lord. He came to save me. He came to save you. How? How does he save me? What do I need to do? What's involved in coming to myself and coming back to God? John 8, 24, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You need to believe in who Jesus was and what he came to do. Luke 13, 3, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all and likewise perish. We need to change our lives from wrong to right. We need to come back to God. We need to leave the pig pen of the world and come back to God. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Die to yourself, be raised to walk in newness of life. Remember Luke 15, but when he came to himself, he arose and went to his father. 
come back home to God today. Jesus was born in a tiny little place, the city of David. The angels appeared and said, we have great news, good news of great joy. You can come home to God today. That is the true, the true miracle of the birth of Jesus. And that's the reason for joy to the world. If there's any way in which we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.